And we're back. Why'd you point at me? I don't know. What is that? Episode 18. We're doing the Logos Podcast. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by two of the premier athletes what? <laughs> in this house. Uh, Austin and Carter. <laughs> okay. I like, okay. Okay. Austin and Carter. Hey, guys. You said two of the three. Does that mean you're the third? No, two of the premier. Oh, yeah. So are you on two? I'm, I'm just oh. over here, like, all chubby and like, nope, not doing, <laughs> not doing athletic things. All right. All right. I feel awkward now. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I really should start planning these out and oh, not man. just trying to do it on the fly. It's a little yeah. painful. It's a little painful. It's a little painful. That's, that's fine. Okay. That's, that's fine. Okay. They're, well, we were just playing soccer in the house, and Austin just, you know, showing off his mad soccer skills. You gave me a soccer ball, so what was I supposed to do? I, with I wasn't it? complaining. I just was it saying happens. he was showing. So I feel like athletes. You very was, much sound like you're complaining. It's not complaining. I, the athleticism was on display, and I felt like I needed to point that out. I kind of feel bad because now I picked up a soccer ball and I was playing with it. And he's like, "Yeah, you can just have it." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking your soccer ball, Brad. I mean, I, mean, I you know, I'll take it. You'll take it. I need to, you know, downsize or consolidate. It's a, it's a soccer ball. It's a soccer. I know it's taking up space. It can deflate. <laughs> <laughs> it has. So, why are why are we here? Why are we here again? Uh, we, I don't remember. No. <laughs> Episode eighteen. What? Episode eighteen. Uh, <laughs> Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare part two. Great week last week. I was telling the guys that I normally won't listen after I edit. I won't listen again. I'll download it to get that number. You know, but uh, <laughs> there you go. I won't actually listen. But I, I listened to this last one again just because I felt. I was super proud of Austin and Carter and, and what they brought to the table last week. So no pressure, but let's try and live up to that again this week with uh, part two. And uh, we're going to start by talking about how we see spiritual warfare here in America and and in the West generally, because I know we spent a lot of time last week on, on Haiti. And Carter, thanks for being willing to share everything last week. It was it was pretty powerful, pretty good stuff. Yeah, and was, Austin, Austin cool. you too, with, with what you and Emily went through. So, um, And thank you to uh, Atticus and Olivia, who allowed me to leave it in, because I, I did ask just to make sure. Oh, you did? Yeah, just oh, to, yeah, just to probably, make sure. Uh, they don't listen. Uh, well, they I didn't say they listened. I just said make sure that <laughs> <laughs> they're okay with their name being brought up, but they were. So... Um, that's good because we would have had to cut out a lot. I, I told him it's that too. True. If it's he had, true. Said, I told him I said if you had said no to this, I'd have been like I would have guilted you into it because I would have had to cut like twenty five minutes of content oh, out, goodness. and we would have had a ten minute episode. So, but anyway, I, I was super pumped about last week. So let's let's uh, let's dive into this week and and just kind of talk through again, starting out how we see this play out here in the states and in, in, in our own lives. I think we we alluded to it last week where. Here in here in the states and here in the West, we see it on a much more subtle level, where it's not overt, you know, voodoo men and and demonic activity is is in like the wailing and and the the vocalization of of these battles that we that you saw in Haiti. We see it much differently here, much more subtle. And Carter's going to roll his ass at me, but you see it a lot in politics and where our culture is going and where our politics are going. You, you you just you don't like it when I talk politics because you talk about it 100 percent of the day. Not not even not <laughs> even 100 percent of the day. But anyway, 95. It's okay. Yeah, 98. It's like 96, but it's totally no. But no, um, I think the biggest thing we see in the states is this erosion of the family and of family values. Yep. And I do believe that that is a part of the spiritual warfare. Well, that was from the beginning, right? That was that was Satan attacking the. The covenant relationship between Adam and Eve, dividing them, getting Adam to want to take or getting Eve to want to take that position above her husband to be the leader. And yeah, he was separating the family. And what do you, why would we think that he would only do it once and not do it ever again? No, it worked. So he's going to keep using that same strategy. Well, and, we, we when we interviewed John a few episodes back, if you haven't listened to that, go interv- listen to our interview with John Harris. 
But when we interviewed him, he made a point. He said that what we're seeing here in the States is not new. It's it's the same heresies, it's the same attacks, it's the same sin, it's this it, as previous generations. It's just taken on a new form, right? And so, I mean, because you look at how the family is being eroded here here in the states. Let, let's start with the the sing, single parent households. We see it. There's an epidemic here in, in in the West of of single parent households, and that is one way that that Satan is attacking the family is is dads just not being present, mm-hmm. no father in the home. That is the single greatest predictor of generational poverty and crime. Crime rates is a lack of a father. Because that's why you see gang activity so so prevalent in among people with without parent without two parents. Is they're looking for a family to and leadership that they don't have at home. And they find that in these gangs. Gangs and 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 you know areas that that are that have a propensity for crime and propensity yeah. for poverty. And that has been detrimental to society. And, and let's just be frank and be honest about it. It's been detrimental to the African-American community, where the single motherhood rate is like at 70%. Yeah. It's unreal how little, how incentivizing being, incentivizing having children out of wedlock financially, incentivizing that has led to this breakdown of the family. Yeah. And that's what's causing the problems that we have. It, it's not a, it's not, a racially based thing. It it is a parent issue. Mm-hmm. It's a family issue. So then, so you have that. You have this. I mean, we're right in the middle of Pride Month. So you have the, this redefinition of family, where two dads, two moms, one dad who thinks he's a mom and one mom who thinks he's a dad, and vice versa, and, and all these convoluted, confusing ideas of family that just completely disintegrates. The nuclear mom, dad, kid. The way it was supposed to be. The way it was the supposed way to be. God created it. The way yeah. it was designed. And so we see that being a major problem. We see divorce, of course, being a huge epidemic in Western society. And, and this idea that the minute things get tough, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm done. And, and people go into marriage, it feels like, with this idea that, oh, if it doesn't work out in a few years, we can just walk away and it's fine. The covenant, the vows, the the, the legality of doesn't make a difference. Yep. Just divorce. Just divorce for whatever reason and, and move on. If it doesn't make you happy, move on. And, and not incentivizing putting in the effort, putting in the work, putting in the the time it's it I'm assuming takes, I don't know, <laughs> to to be in a healthy marriage. So I think in the States, again, we're just seeing this attack on, on the family. And homosexuality and, and these immoral practices are not new. Obviously, you have Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Mm-hmm. And, and God destroying the city. Um, Greece. Greece. Hellenistic periods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not new. And, and we're just seeing it take different tactics and take different forms. So that's one way. Yeah. And and again, looking at subtleties, right? In the United States, it's it has been subtle throughout the years and then as of now it it looks like oh well no it's not subtle it's in your face well now it is it has been subtle for the past 100 years in the past 50 years it has slowly just been weaseling its way in and so now it's there there is no denying it it is in our face and how do how do we fight that how do we how do we move on how do we combat that and i think at its core it's Satan and, and his and his minions causing us to forget that we're made in God's image. Yeah, right. You see that? I think I think you see a lot with the gender ideology today, where people just don't know they're made in God's image, and therefore they're like, "Well, I can be whatever I want, or whatever I feel, or if I'm struggling with this that, or the other, doesn't matter because I'm an individual, not created not created in the image of anything. So I, you know, I, I can just I can say I'm not a man anymore, or I can say I'm not a woman anymore. Yeah." And it, it is a, a tactic of the devil to, again, break down the family and break down our idea that we are made in God's image. Or that other side of, I am made in God's image, so I am God myself. Which, I mean, that was, that was, Satan wasn't created in the image of God, but that was his mindset of, why can't I? If he can, why can't I? It goes back right. to pride. So, another thing, and we're actually seeing this more... Now than ever before, we've talked about this multiple times. It's one of the reasons why we started this. But Christians specifically being attacked and being ridiculed and being 
now in Canada, thrown in prison for holding church services. Mm-hmm. We, we just had one this last week. A pastor was arrested in front of his family yes. after a helicopter was used to find where they were secretly meeting. So the government used a helicopter. I forget if it was a helicopter or a drone. I can't remember if it was manned or unmanned. I don't think it matters. But they were they were specifically searching for a group of Christians meeting to arrest the pastor. That was the whole reason why that aircraft was in the air, was to find this secret church being, that was meeting in Canada, just a few hours north, a Western society. He was put in prison, to, hauled off in handcuffs in front of his entire family. Yeah. It's, it's here. It is no longer subtle. It is here. It is in our face. And it's here to stay. Yeah. I mean, we, we know the end of the book. We know what's going to happen. This is going to be happening more and more, and we need to prepare for that. And it's not a coincidence that this is all happening and starting to happen more when we are rejecting God in, like, government and schools and all that. And just, like, the percentage that I shared a few weeks, a few episodes ago of, like, the, I forgot, the the population that said they attended a church, like, how it keeps declining. Like, that's not a coincidence. Like, yeah. It's all happening because of the not going to church anymore. Well, and, and you, you see it in in our culture, in, in what Hollywood puts out, and what you know, what what television and, and mainstream media put out. This everything is permissible, mm-hmm. right? There, there's no everything's fine. You can do whatever you want, be whatever you want. It, everything's okay. Everything's okay. allowed. Yeah, there's no sin. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. Like. No moral standards, yeah. right? Sleep around, you know, if you get pregnant and don't want it, have an abortion. Celebrate that. Not just have the abortion, celebrate the abortion. Because yeah. you are your own God now. Because you are your own God now. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that's part of the way Satan works as a, just in the culture as a whole is that subtle just chipping away at our standards, right? So Christians allowing these things to be like, you know, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's fine. It is what it is. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then all of a sudden, where did this come from? Well, it's because we let this creep in. Yeah. You compromised on this, 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 and this. So, of course, this would come in. It snowballs. It's that slippery slope. It it just keeps growing and building. That is why we cannot compromise. Looking at politics, you know, what, what is a big thing in politics? You have to compromise, right? The right versus the left, you have to compromise to meet the middle somehow. As Christians, we do not. We cannot compromise. There is no meeting in the middle with unbelievers. We stick with truth and we stay with truth. I mean, like what Carter was saying, that goes back to chapter one in Romans. God has given them up to a debased mind. All of these people saying, we don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want our church. (laughs) We don't want you in our churches. We don't want you in our, our homes. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our government. And he has said, okay, fine. Do it without me. See what happens. And we are seeing the ramifications of that. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing the culture degrade, you know, attacking the family, just sexual freedom. Do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, without. However, however you want. However you want, without any consequences quote unquote, without any consequences. I mean, there are obviously consequences. And again, you see it with this this whole abortion debate and this idea that that if you get pregnant and you don't want the baby, just kill the baby. It's fine. And be proud of that. Yeah. Celebrate it. Shout it from the rooftops. It 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 is it's evil. And it's evil. Um it's it's not gonna get any better. It is gonna get worse before it gets better. But we as Christians need to see where Satan's working. And so transition that into how does how does spiritual warfare affect us as believers and i think for me personally because i do think it it like you said satan knows his enemies mm-hmm. and, and he knows who he's fighting against <clears throat> so he knows what's going to work for you individually as, a, as an individual christian he knows what's going to work for you and so for me personally it's apathy it's either it's apathy and laziness mm. it's how he can get me where i stay so busy while that's not necessarily wrong in and of itself I use that Satan as, you know, or, you know, I'm tempted to then use that as an excuse to not read this, the Bible, to not spend time with God, to not spend time in prayer, because I'm just so tired. I'm so busy. I'm so this, I'm so. And so he allows me to, or, or he tempts me into that feeling of laziness where I'm just like, I just don't want to do it. I want, I want to shut my mind off and just sit and veg for a while. Yeah. Well, when that happens and that starts to become a pattern in, in, in seasons of life, that's when spiritually I'm useless. Yeah. That's where I'm not being effective for God's kingdom. 
And that's his whole goal in attacking Christians, is to make you useless for the kingdom. Is to make you just completely... Sin- uh, uh, useless. Uh, I said that word to me. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Null and void, completely yeah, just, pointless. Yeah, to make your yeah. existence and your work for Christ... Devoid of all meaning. Devoid of all meaning. And, and, and that's... He can't steal your soul. I think we, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. But he can... He, he can take your time and, and just make you it's the, insignificant it's, in, in the kingdom. Yeah. It's the difference between um, actual possession versus tormenting. Yeah, as believers, we can't be possessed, but we can be tormented. Now, also, something to keep in mind, too, um, again, not giving too much power to Satan, because that is very important. Of course. He is powerful. Yes, he is very powerful. He is the most powerful created being on the face of the planet. But can he defeat death? Well, no. Of course not. Exactly. Right. But when we, and again, I, I do this too, right? talking with my wife about this, you know, talking about, oh, you know, um, the Satan or you know, the devil tempted me here. Or Satan has done this. It's, well, well mm, more than likely it's our flesh, right? Looking back at the two things we were at war with, our, the, our flesh and the enemy on the outside, which is Satan and those he is in control with. Those things that, Brad, you you and I, we, we deal with, that is our flesh. We are at war with our flesh. We are being tempted by our flesh. And then we give Satan his recognition. Because if you are actually being tempted by the prince of darkness, man, you better have people praying for you. Yeah. Because that is some powerful stuff going on. That is not just the the typical everyday it's like man i really don't feel like reading my bible that that isn't satan whispering in your ear that is yourself and and i we need to keep that distinction because again we cannot limit satan's power god does that god gives him what he can do at what time we can't we do not have that power so we need to keep that in mind just kind of just kind of as a reference keep that in mind yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. But yeah, so we need to learn to recognize where we are attacked as believers. We need to learn to recognize how to fight it. So just to kind of wrap up what we were talking about with with the West and what we see here in these here in the states, I want to talk about kind of two distinct divisions that I think Satan uses and tactics that he uses to divide us. So the first, let's start just at the national level. Not necessarily just the, the the church level, but national level, you see that again in politics, where specifically right now, everyone's trying to we're being divided by race. We're, we're going back to this era of, of being defined by the color of our skin. And that is a tactic Satan is using to divide the church. Mm-hmm. okay? So he's using these racial divisions to try to attack the church and make the church ineffective and make the church look more like the world. And not the church making the world more like Christ. Right. And I think it's very important that we, as a church and as believers, recognize these ideas. We've talked about that in Romans these last couple of weeks, where Jews and Greeks are the same. Ethnicities, they're the same. We all stand condemned before God, with, apart from Christ. So, with that in mind, we need to recognize when we start seeing these divisions work their way into our churches. Yes. Divisions by race, divisions by secondary theological issues, divisions, whatever, gender, socioeconomics, you know, uh, uh, status. These divisions cause us to be ineffective. They give the church a bad name, right? Mm-hmm. They, they give the church this, well, they can't get their stuff together. They, they, they can't even agree on this. They can't even agree on the basic things. How, how are they speaking truth if they all believe different things? And, and yeah, we see that everywhere. The different denominations everywhere. Um associating ourselves with being Calvinist or being Armenian, or uh, it goes back to Paul. Yeah, let there be no divisions among you. Do not do not be like, I, I follow Apollos or I, I follow Paul. No, you, you're a Christian. You follow Christ. And it's been a hard one because the past couple of years, it's like, man, I, I don't even want to be referred as a Christian anymore because everyone and their mom is referred to as a Christian, and that, that's not what they are. But it it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> By no means. By no means. We are Christians because we are followers of 
the Christ of Jesus, of Yeshua. And again, yeah, th- those are those subtle ways that Satan has crept into the church and he has divided us saying, no, you, you guys need to look more specifically at this point. And well, no, you guys over here need to look at this point more specifically. And oh, by the way, those, you, you probably think those conflict, don't you? And that has been, that has been a huge thing. Definitely, you know, coming from Catholicism, the split for between Catholicism and Protestants and then Protestants and every different (laughs) thing from that. Yeah. And, and, and there are there are core truths and core theological principles that we cannot compromise on yes. that we have to be united on that if someone is outside of those truths and, and, and preaching a heresy we do need to separate and divide from that because we divide from unbiblical teachings but these secondary issues I talked about this a few weeks ago when, when I was asked to preach we're gonna disagree on some things we're gonna disagree on some of these secondary theological issues. I, I, I do put Calvinism and Arminianism in that secondary issue mm-hmm. because there are disagreements there, but there is so much vitriol and so much anger and aggression that I don't even like discussing it if I don't have to, because that's not the point that that doesn't need to divide us. Yes. That is not a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. Now there are some aspects in both of those theories and ideas that we probably should hash out. But again, what are these core issues that we agree on? Mm-hmm. The core truths of Scripture of salvation and of our need for a Savior, that should unite us over everything else, and everything, and everything else should be secondary, right. should not divide us. And, and it goes back to, okay, if you have those disagreements, you talk about it. If you can't come to a conclusion, you put it away. You go back to the basics and you you stay with that. Yeah. And then at maybe at some point you can go back and re rediscuss it. But if you guys are letting it not just you guys, us, it is us. If we allow that to permeate, if we allow that to divide us, that is our fault. And Satan's winning. And that Satan's winning and we are sinning. We yeah. are being divisive against each other. Yeah. Theology is important. Theology is extremely important. It is something that we need to focus on and we need to dive into and dig into the Word. But when it, again, when it gets to these secondary issues, that's how Satan uses it, is these secondary issues to divide and then create animosity between the two sides yeah. or three sides or four, whatever the issue is. Yeah, He divides. And then like you said, he said, well, you all focus here. You focus here. You all don't like each other anymore. Fight. Yeah. And when we're fighting each other, we're being we're ineffective. Yeah. We're not doing anything for God's kingdom. Yeah. Well, the and there there was a point where the the disciples came to Jesus and they said, "Hey, the, these people over here, they're casting out demons in your name, uh, but they don't they don't they're not over here. They're not following you like we're following you." And Jesus is like, "Well, if if they're casting out demons in my name, they are going by my my basically they're going by my teachings and stuff like that." Then why why do you have an issue with that they're they're doing it in my name they're doing the good things and looking at that as okay you have different denominations oh well you're baptist so don't 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 associate with the the methodists and uh, just just let them do their thing and oh they're they're not preaching the gospel it's like no if they are teaching christ if there there is good things there and i again i'm just using methodist and right Stuff like that uh, as an example. But it goes back to the basic truths. If you are, if we are on those together, that, that is very important. Yeah, it, it's a balance. It's a balance yeah. of, of knowing what unites us and knowing the core truths of, of salvation and of, of, of the gospel and pointing out heresy, okay? Because I, I, I don't think these secondary issues fall into the heretical category necessarily. So as long as you're not heretical, as long as you're not preaching something like Jesus and, or the gospel is us doing something, you know, as long as you're not preaching a false gospel and you're not preaching heretical teachings like like a, like a prosperity gospel, right. as long as you're not doing that, or a, prog- a progressive Christianity or yes. deconstruction, as long as you're not going that route where you're just openly defying scripture, we need to stay united. Again, we do need to divide and separate from the heretical teachings. Yes. But guys... There is a fine line there, and we need to understand that 
when we are divided over these secondary issues, that is Satan winning and making us useless and ineffective for the kingdom. Yeah. Well, there, there's a famous quote by Abraham Lincoln, is united we stand, divided we fall, or a, a house divided cannot stand. And talk, talking about the United States, yes, but that is based on a quote of Jesus, where he is, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees are coming to him basically saying that, oh, you're of the devil. And Satan's like, ah, um, no, if, if I was of the devil and I'm over here casting out demons, I, I, that's a house divided. I, I'm, I cannot be casting out demons in the name of my father, casting out with this power, but working for Beelzebul. That it, it doesn't work like that. And we, that's something that is misused in the United States because what, definitely with this COVID thing that just happened, it was, oh, we, we need to be united. We need to unite. We have to all come together. Well, okay, as a country, yeah, yeah, come together as a country. But for the Christians who are saying, hey, we need to be united with these unbelievers, no, that is not scriptural. We cannot be united as a, again, united looking at the bride of Christ, that covenant with Christ. We cannot have that unity with unbelievers. I mean, scripture is full of it. Um, it talks about not being yoked with an unbeliever in business, not entering into that marriage covenant with an unbeliever. It, it's full of that. We cannot be united with unbelievers. We have to be united with fellow believers. And there is a reason for that. Right. So that was a little bit of a tangent going on, because <laughs> I think we're all three of us are pretty passionate about keeping the church united and keeping yes. the church uh, uh, effective for the kingdom and effective for ministry. Uh, but that great tangent, great side point, kind of my fault we started there, but it's cool. But, <laughs> well, it, but it goes back. But it goes Spiritual back. Spiritual warfare it's, and subtleties with That's America. how he's attacking us yes. right now. So. We've looked at a little bit, not exhaustive by any means, but we've looked at a little bit of how Satan and his minions are working in the West and working in the United States. We talked about, you know, Haiti and, and other countries like that last week. Given all that, given what we've talked about, how do we respond? How do we as Christians respond to this spiritual warfare? What do we do to I keep wanting to say combat? combat. Well, is it is. Okay? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we do combat. What do we do to combat this these problems? And, and Austin and Carter, I know you guys have some stuff to talk about on this. Let, let's dive into it. I began with a question last Thursday. It was, how are we to fight a cosmic darkness? So I, I, I'll kind of go back through that. We, we looked at Daniel. We looked at how he, he was praying. And for 21 days, he, he was praying. And then the archangel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, Daniel, God's heard you. The past 21 days you, since you have set your heart to the ways of the Lord, he has heard you. He has sent me. But I've been fighting with the princes of Persia, and they they have been fighting me, and they've withstood me 21 days until the archangel Michael was able to show up and give me backup, and I could come help you. That is alluding to that actual physical war between angels and demons. It's talking about the cosmic, right? The um, space, the heavens, the vastness of space, galaxies, universe, they are filled with both angels and demons who are constantly at war with each other. Um, looking at Revelations 12, verse 4, and Revelations 5 and 11, it talks about myriads, right? Um, in Revelations 5, 11, it talks about John is saying, I looked up and I saw the heavenly host, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy. And there were, there were ten thousands of ten thousands, thousands of thousands. In the Greek, the Greek going up in number, 10,000 was the highest number in Greek. There was nothing above that. So, more commonly in Scripture, when, peop when someone refers to 10,000, they are talking about a numberless number, a, an amount that there is no number, an infinite amount. So looking at it that way, he's looking in heaven and there are 10,000s upon 10,000. There, there is an infinite amount of angels up there. Uh, Revelations 12, 4 references how when Satan fell, his tail swiped and took a third of the angels. 
So there's two thirds left in heaven. Satan has a third, and it is infinite. He has 10,000. He has an, a myriad of fallen angels, and they are countlessly at war with each other, and they are everywhere. They are, again, for the unbelievers, there is that on the smaller cases that, I mean, I, I've only seen, I believe, one. That was, that was a very dark period of my time, but that actual possession uh, versus that tormenting. So that answer of how do we fight a cosmic darkness, and it's, we don't. We, we cannot physically fight that. That is not our fight. The, the angels are here for that fight. We are here for something else, okay? It is not our job to fight demons or the devil, but to withstand them. Verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 6, it says to withstand. And throughout scripture, it talks about standing firm, standing against the evil one. Never says to flee, but it doesn't say to physically fight him or to physically fight them. It is to stand firm and defend, defend our faith, defend what we believe. And looking at Satan, how he came and he was basically fighting against Jesus, using scripture against him, how did Satan or how did Jesus fight back. He used scripture. He used the word of God, which is the sword. That is how we fight. We fight with scripture. We fight with God's logos. And you see, he didn't, he didn't back away. He didn't run away. He didn't cower. He stood didn't, firm. He stood firm. He, granted, he had perfect knowledge of the word and perfect knowledge and, and perfect, and the ability to follow the law perfectly. But he, he gave us the example of how to, how to fight. He stood firm, he stood his ground, and he used scripture to say, back off. Yeah. Yeah. The, and that's, we need to learn from that. That's what we should be doing. So, looking at the world, it is the means in which the devil uses against us, believers. Satan will use and is using unbelievers against us. And again, looking back at division, he's using believers against believers because he is he has weaseled his way in and permeated these thoughts within our minds of division, and uh, and that is very evident. You have that other side of demon possession. He that can only happen to non-believers. If you have Christ living inside of you, if you have the Holy Spirit, a demon cannot inhabit you, but you can be tormented. And what does that look like? What does torment torment what does being tormented look like? From the Old Testament looking at okay, Saul, when God allowed and he sent a a bad spirit, a, a demon basically to torment Saul. There's it's not exactly clear on what that looked like for him. It it could be a number of things. And again, it th- that depression. It's that. Um, that was that was the first word that came to my mind. Yeah. For for at least for me is is depression. Yeah. That that's when I'm being tormented. You know, and and obviously not possessed, not whatever. Right. When I'm in those dark places, it is. It's it's a it's a depression. Yeah. Looking at that difference between that that hard depression from when you are actually being tormented versus that fleshly depression, and there is a difference. Looking at Saul, he was being hardcore oppressed by this bad spirit to the point where he had to have something come in and help, and which was David. God sent David there to play the lyre to help him with that. Now, it was the purpose of bringing David into that whole mix, but there, there are other places throughout Scripture that reference that. Well, I, you know, I've, I've seen that in my, in my life in, in those dark times. It is it it is definitely beyond a oh I'm sad today. It is it is beyond a oh I messed up. I feel guilty about this, so I'm a little bummed out. Like it, it goes beyond that. It's it is a hopelessness. It is a hopelessness. And yes, we have hope, and, and Christians have that hope. But there are going to be times where we don't feel it, and, and there are going to be times where we are tormented. You know, I in, in one of my darker moments, I had a friend. Um, I was supposed to go to lunch after church with uh, a couple of friends of mine at their house. And I skipped church, didn't want to go, just wanted to sleep, mm-hmm. right? And I turned my phone off and 
just literally laid in in the living room in the dark of my house. Didn't answer the phone. Didn't didn't tell them I wasn't coming to to lunch. Didn't nothing. And they showed up at my house, and we're like, take a shower, get up, come outside, and we're going. Yeah. And, and and pretty stern. They were a little mad, <laughs> but. <laughs> Not and, and not in a way of like, oh, he stood us up. I'm mad at him. It was a this is not how Christians are supposed to act. Yeah. They're, they're, they have hope. This is not a hopeless situation for you. They knew what was going on in my world at that point. And, yeah. and they were like, you still have hope. Let's let and they, they had to pull me out of it. They had to mm-hmm. literally come to my house and almost physically drag me out of the house to get me to kind of bounce bounce back and yeah. get back to realizing, okay. This life is worth living, not sitting in a dark room. Right. Like, and, and, and there is hope outside of this situation that I'm in right now. Right. And, and that goes to that attack. We are, that is another way we are being attacked. And if you get in that position where you're not wanting to do anything, you just want to lay in the dark. That is, again, that is where you need people surrounding you to be able to come to you and say, well, for one, you're being attacked. You're we need to fight this and we need to fight it the right way. Let's use scripture. Let's pray and let's get you up. Let's get you out. Let's be moving. And going off what you said, February was like a really, I would say it was probably the hardest month I faced since becoming a Christian. Um, I was like, I felt attacked the entire month and it was from like Satan, how we were talking earlier, Satan knew how to get to me. Like I had just got, or I had just moved. So I had to quit my job that I was at. And I really liked, I enjoyed that job. So then at this point I didn't have one and I couldn't find one at the time because I didn't have my license. I didn't have a car. I just didn't have a way to get there. So through that whole month, I didn't have a job and I was just like, I wasn't doing anything and I didn't have any responsibilities. I would just lay around all day and I wasn't motivated to do anything with my time. And so Satan used that, that apathy to just turn me away, not turn me away, but like, I put up a wall in between me and God and like I didn't experience his love. I didn't feel his love. It was like it was like a division. Would, it, yeah, yeah, I was attacked that month and I would like I was depressed that month. I didn't like it was the only time I had felt like God stopped loving me. And like he, he obviously didn't and I know that now, but in that time all I could think about was why doesn't God love me anymore? Mm. And so it was just like and every night I felt super lonely. I felt like no one was there for me, even though there I knew I know now that there is people for me. I have a whole church family of people, but I just didn't feel it in the time. And Satan was like, he almost had me. So I, it's amazing how Satan and, and and his his minions can make us feel that we are completely alone, even though we know we're not. We know they're, and not just alone as in God is with us, because obviously that's true, but like alone in a physical, I'm here for you, Carter, type type alone. And it's amazing how he can make make us feel that we don't have anybody on our side here on this earth, and we are alone. Because you come out of it, and you look at it, and you're like, that was really dumb for me to think no one was there for me. And same kind of with what I was saying with my friends uh, that, that came to my house that day is like, I was still in that moment. feel like I had no one, but that's obviously not true. I had my family, I had my church family. You had your, you had your church family. You had people that love you and, and that were coming alongside you praying for you. But yet in those moments, you don't feel it even though you know it's there. And again, that's a blatant lie from Satan. Absolutely. Saying, no, there's no one there. You are alone. It's like, no, no, I am not alone. One, I have the God of the universe. And two, I have given, he has, there are the people here that he has sent for me. And that, that is very important. We need to keep that in mind. So look, we've looked at possession. We've looked at tormenting. Satan dominates this world. He is known as the God of this world. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Little G. Little G. The unbelievers are slaves to him. It is run by demonic power. As the world turns further from Christ, the closer they turn towards Satan and the harder it will be for us. Um, we, we need to keep that in mind. That is our, our out- outreach program, right? We are to bring the gospel to them. We are supposed to be teaching them of the good news. But Satan is trying to thwart that. That is our battleground. That is what we're fighting 
for and against. So how do we respond to evil? So let's look at a couple scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30. It's the parable of the weeds. Now, reading through this, this isn't talking about um, humans. This is this is talking about the angels. This is talking about the ones that at the end of the age will separate the weeds from the fruit. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this, again, talking about angels. At the end of the age, the angels will go through sifting, taking the wheat, putting it in his barn, taking the weeds, putting it in bundles, and it will be there for the fire. This is, I think, a way that we respond to evil, okay? We respond to the unbeliever as we are the wheat and they are the weeds, Granted, we don't know. We don't know who are the possible wheat. We don't know who is the possible bearers of fruit. We are to bring the scripture, bring the gospel, bring the truth to them, and then the rest is up to God. He will either soften or harden their heart. But that that is one way how we're responding to them. We That is not our job to go through and sift. That is not our job to uproot. We are there amongst the weeds. So we have that opportunity to minister to them. That is not our job to go through and differentiate between them. So we will interact with the weeds of the world all the time. And sometimes they may be under control of demonic powers. That's where it goes to stand firm, stand fast. We are to stand against the evil day. In verse 10, this is not a time for weak people, weak Christians You need strength through Christ. Strength, the same that brought him back to life and defeated death. Guys, when you have accepted Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Going back to relying on the strength of his might, that is the strength that brought Christ back from the dead. That is the strength that God created the heavens and the universe and all things for his glory. That is the power that you have within you. You have a nuclear reactor within your body. And (laughs) how many times are we out here throwing rocks? And I can only imagine God being like, you have a nuke, (laughs) use it. Yeah. And yeah, we're throwing stones thinking we're David. Ah, ha, ha. He's like, dude, Push the button. Yeah. Push the button. Let me take control of this. And and we need we need to keep that in mind. You have a nuke, so use it. You have you have all the power and strength you need to stand firm in these moments and the, during these attacks. It's there. Mm-hmm. Just tap into it. Yeah, tap into it. Use it. If you have Christ within you, you already have the strength, which is Christ Jesus. So how do you use that strength? Well, as it goes further in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. That is how you use it, okay? And that is an entirely different topic, so we're not going to go into that. I'm just going to say, read, read that, go through it. You use the strength of the Lord by putting on the armor of God. Using using the armor, putting on the armor, you have the helmet of salvation, right? You have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the belt of truth, you have the sword, the sword being what? The word. You have the shoes being the preparedness of the gospel. You have the shield of truth. These are things that are used. These are. This is the strength that God has given us. That is the power within us that he has already given you. You just have to put it on and use it. 
Um, it, it's that analogy of when, when you accept Christ, you join that spiritual army. You are now in the Lord's army, right? But I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, yes sir. sir. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the it, shield of faith. I didn't. Okay. You said shield of truth. Oh, that's right. I did. It's okay. It's the belt of truth. Uh, belt of I truth. messed up. Belt of truth. Right. Thank you. Just start from the right. I appreciate that. No, Thank you, Kurt. It didn't sound right. I was like, wait a minute. No, I messed up. It's I okay. messed up. That's a fluke. But it's that that mindset of you are not just a grunt in this army. You're not just you get thrown into the mix, you get thrown a sword and all right, go, go do your thing. No, we are a noble line. We are a knighthood. We are a royal priest line and we are heirs with Christ. We are noble, noble, royal warriors. And there is so much more to that than just being simple grunts. We have authority. We have importance. And for me, looking at it from that lens, in this army, I don't want to be just your low-level grunt that does some fighting here and there. I want to be the guy that goes to the range, and I'm spending hundreds of thousands of rounds, and I am training because I want to be the best of the best. I want on to be the front line. On the front, I want to be SEAL material. Braveheart. Yeah, yeah, freedom. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No. Why'd you do that? Sorry. You can't. You can't, can't distract you. Can't part. mention me with. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I want. I want to be the best of the best. I want to. I want to train that way. But with that, I want to be with men who train that way as well. And that's why I love what we do here because that that's what we're striving for to be the our, the best that we can be. So verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. That is any day that evil comes for you. We are to stand and fight it with everything we have. Stand firm. It reminds me of the flag at Fort McHenry. That is where our national anthem was written. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light that the flag stood all night long with the beratement of British cannon fire. All night long. In the morning, by dawn's early light, it was still standing. And there's a, there's a story, this, this legend that it's not really confirmed, but it's the reason why the flag was still standing was because it, the bottom of the pole was surrounded and stacked with dead bodies. Because every time the flag would start to fall, a guy would go to hold it and it would be standing. And it was tattered and full of bullet holes, but it was still standing. See, seeing that flag in person in DC is it, goosebumps. It's chill inducing. No it's incredible to see that flag because oh, they have man. it in. I think it's in the Smithsonian. I could be wrong. It, it, it's maybe where the Declaration is as well. I, I, I honestly can't remember where it is, but I would love it's to see that, yeah. unbelievable. And and yeah, I, I don't know. That yeah. just made me think of that. Well, and that, that's what we're supposed to do. That yeah. is when he said. That's what he means by standing firm. You are going to get hit. Again, we, we alluded to what was the point of armor. The point of armor was so you could be hit. It is not that purpose of you're not going to get hit if you're good with your sword. I mean, yeah, it's the point. But the point of the armor is you're going to get hit. You need to learn your armor and where is the best place to get hit. So after the battle is over, at the end of the age, will you have done all to stand? Will you still be standing? Or... Will your armor have cracked or fallen off or, God forbid, you started the battle without any of it all? So, real quick, look, looking at Paul's armor, he mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9, and again in chapter 1, 8 through 11, he, he mentions his, his, not his specific armor, but how he is being attacked. So... Chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He is standing firm. I have this picture of a fighter who is just getting destroyed by the opponent, and yet he still gets up. Yes. He still stands up. He's 
bloodied, he's beaten, he's battered, he's tired, he's exhausted, but he stands up. Also think of the the movie Hacksaw Ridge based on true story where yes. he is, I mean, he is in agony. And he just says, just one more. Please let me get just, one more. He gets up and he goes and gets one more. Yes. And then he does it again and again and again. Just the ability through- 75. Through God's <laughs> strength yeah. alone, the ability to, when you are bloodied and battered and broken and bruised, you can still get up. And I, me personally, when I show up to the gates, it's and, and that's a that's a dangerous prayer. But I want to show up with scars and drenched in blood and completely war tattered, because for me that that is a show of I did everything I could to stand, and being here it's a testament to that. Versus you show up and your armor's clean and pretty, or you don't have any armor because it rested and you didn't use it. Right. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is, Paul was talking about how there, there came a point in Asia where they were relying on themselves. They were relying on their own understanding, their own strength. And it got to the point where it says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And Paul is alluding to that moment where he's like, oh man, I'm fighting this completely wrong. Yeah. And it goes back to, I need to be relying on God. I need to be relying on his strength. Again, using those stones when God is like, there's a nuke, just push the button, let me do it. And it leads to prayer. Prayer is such an important thing. Paul is asking, he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That is another tactic of fighting. We use scripture as the sword, but we pray. We pray fervently to God. Um, it's like that that analogy of you're going into battle and you have your, your brothers with you. You're holding that line. You, you don't have a chance unless you have communication. And that is prayer. You have a direct line to the king, not just, you know, talking to your sergeant and your sergeant goes, talks to your captain and then it goes all the way up. It's like, no, you have a direct line to the king saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. I need your help. Well, and he I, I tells lift, you. I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Mm-hmm. Where does my help come from? Exactly. That's it. Again, talking about Paul's armor, the things that he was going through, Satan threw everything he could at him, and Paul was losing, but he was left standing because he went back to, okay, there's the nuke. I'm going to use it. What was working initially. Initially. You walked away from what was working. Things stopped working. How do I get back to what was working? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, your preparation is in the strength of the Lord. Your equipment to fight is the armor of God. Your enemy is formidable, the devil. Know your enemy. Know his schemes and how he will fight. He fights dirty. He fights dirty and he does everything he can. We are engaged with a real struggle. And not only against people, but a cosmic darkness, a supernatural force, a complex structure of hierarchy of demons that operate everywhere. And the, it is. It's a hierarchy. Satan's at the top. There are it's almost like there are generals. There there are there is a structure to them. That it is not just chaos. Yeah, it's organized. It is organized and they know how to fight and they are going to do everything they can. And it is more than we could possibly bear alone. Only by the grace of God that has been given us and that is the equipment. There is a thing that we need to keep in mind. We are not a peacetime military. 
Once you have accepted the Holy Spirit, you are in that battle. You're in the military. You are in God's army, and we are not a peacetime army. We are at war. <laughs> Listening to Alistair Begg, he, he uses that of, don't you know we're at war? He, he said, I remember growing up um, over in uh, Ireland, Scotland, and it was a few years after the, the war was over. It was like uh, 48, 1948. And it was being wrapped up, right? And whenever someone would say, "Man, I would, I really like a like some sugar, or, or I'd really like a cup of tea or something," and the, the the answer would always be, "Well, don't you know we're at war? Of course, we don't have those luxuries. We need to keep that in mind. There are luxuries that we are wanting. We want comfortableness, but we are in the middle of a war. We do not get those luxuries. We cannot. And if you do, no offense, but you're probably not fighting the way you're supposed to be. And we've all been there. I've been there. There are, there are things that I'm like, man, I would really like this. And my wife comes behind me and she's like, Austin, don't you know we're at war? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. And so we need to keep that in mind. So really quick, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hamanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Wage the good warfare. That word right there, war. The Greek, it is a verb, it is strateo, which means strategy, to fight as a soldier. We are to have strategy. This isn't a run out into the world swinging your sword around and expecting you to defeat some evil and save some people along the way. We have to be strategic. We need to plan. We need to be in scripture. Why? Because the high command, the king, has told us what to do. He has given us exactly what we need to do. We need to follow that example. We need to follow that command. So strategy, it is a plan of action or policy designed to achieve major or overall aim. We have to have strategy. Noble, the noble warfare, good. The Greek word is koloss, an excellent and noble warfare. Noble having or showing fine personal qualities, or high moral principles and ideals. We are not to fight dirty. Satan fights dirty. We are to fight a noble warfare. We fight in the name of the king. We fight in the name of Jesus. We need to be living that example. Warfare, the Greek word strateia, it is a campaign, not a battle, not a brief fight. It is a long, drawn-out campaign. We are in a warfare. And again, that is a campaign. This is not something that we're going to go fight, and then when we turn 60, we retire and we're done. I, I, I use that a lot. There is no retirement from the faith. The pinnacle of your faith should be at the moment of your death. When you show up at the gates, that is the pinnacle you were there. So war, not that of on earth, but on the spiritual side against the supernatural Paul sent Timothy to fight at Ephesus. He was fighting against the supernatural through false doctrine and teaching that was taking place there. That, that, that's why I brought Timothy up. It, he, he was there. He was fighting at Ephesus. He was going against the supernatural, against the false doctrines, the teachings that were taking on, taking place there. And that is what we need to be doing as well. So, who are we fighting? As kind of a, a way to, to wrap up what I've got. Who are we fighting? We, we are fighting the most powerful thing created, and that is Lucifer. He was created, and we are at war with him. But again, we are not to physically fight him. We are fighting other things which we have gone through. So really quick, I, uh, I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 19, just to kind of give a little bit more context, talking about Satan, talking about Lucifer. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings. And your engravings, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. An abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. I consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the people are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. He is talking about Satan. He's talking about Lucifer. He says, you were in the garden. (laughs) You were the most beautiful. You had, again, using human terms, the best way to describe what Satan, what Lucifer looked like, being covered in gold, covered in emeralds and rubies and sapphires. He is beautiful. He was set to be basically the head of the angels in heaven, but he destroyed that. He ruined that. And again, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 19. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down low to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. Satan declared war on God. God accepted, and it's this this promise of, I will destroy him. He will destroy him. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And again, Revelation Chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you will dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Last week, I ended with that. It is, the enemy knows that they are to lose the war. But what happens to the losing side? They know they're losing, so they're going to take as many people as they can with them. Uh, World War II, Japan, the Empire of Japan, they surrendered. But the fighting kept going for months because that was their home and they didn't want to give it up. It's the same way. They know they're going to lose and they're going to take as many of us as they can with them. So one, the last thing I'll leave you with is beware of the mindset that the war has been won. Yes, it is true. God has won the war. But the battles are still being waged, and we're still fighting. That's why it is a dangerous mindset to think and to stay in that, that the war has been won, because what happens? Apathetic. Apathetic. We celebrate. We're done. No, we need 
to use the motivating factor of the war is won to finish the fight because the battles are still being waged and we need to finish the fight. Okay, so for homework, I have a question and it is, are there cases where you have had victory over some demonic forces by speaking to it in the name of Jesus? So heavy topic this these last couple of weeks. It, it's been a lot of fun to explore. And I want to, we want to leave you with hope. Yes, the battle is won. The fight is still going on, but we do win in the end. So no matter how many times you get, you get hit, no matter how bloody you become, no matter how injured you are, get up, understand that the power in you is greater than the power that you were fighting against and fight. Yeah. Stand, stand firm in the strength of his might. And you do that by staying rooted in the word. You do that by staying in scripture, by praying, by realizing your help is in the heavens. He has given you victory, but we still have to fight. And quit using rocks. Push the button. Use the nuke. You have it. You have the power. So guys, this week, think about times where you have fought and you have won. Think about how you can continue to fight, how you can stand firm, how you can stay and withstand the devil and his tactics. Um, Until next week, stay rooted. Stay rooted. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can find us on Apple, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogos.